At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter. And Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. This is one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. It reminds me that the Christian life begins with the assurance of salvation in Christ. Often we approach the Christian life as though assurance of our salvation were the goal of it. So I'm trying to see the work of God in my life and in that way be assured that I am in fact in Christ. But that uh, gives me too much in Christ, not enough. Because the Christian life is grounded in what he has done and what the Spirit has done and what the Father has done. It is on his initiative that anyone is in Christ. And so I begin in assurance of salvation. I trust in him. And his word makes a promise to those who trust in him. He makes a promise to those who trust in him. And that is that he gives them eternal life, that he will raise them up on the last day, and that he never loses a single one. This uh, little bit of our story takes place in something called the Feast of Dedication. That's what we now today call Hanukkah. The Feast of Lights, the celebration of lights. It's the occasion in which the temple was, uh, it's a celebration of the occasion in which the temple was dedicated during the time of the Maccabees, a time when the people of Israel sort of rose up against their Roman oppressors and reinstituted worship. It's interesting that the, uh, 
the Jewish historian Josephus, he wrote about this and he says, it's as though worship were restored in Israel when we had no reason to anticipate it. And it's a celebration of light. And I guess I think John mentions it here because this is a celebration of the light of Christ. That uh, this story began with the healing of a blind man, a man born blind. And the issue throughout this whole thing is, do people see him for who he is? And so we start with these folks gathering around Jesus and saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? Are you the Christ? Tell us plainly. And we might say along with them, yeah, why doesn't he just say it? I am the Christ. He says, I told you. You just, the problem is not that you haven't been told. The problem is that you don't believe it. So we might want to review here in the book of John. He said in chapter 6, I am the bread of life. He said in chapter 8, I am the light of the world. He said in this chapter, chapter 10, I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. Now, if someone shows up and heals a blind man and says, I am the good shepherd, he doesn't say, I am a good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. And that is about as plain as you can make it. Of course, back in chapter 8, toward the end of chapter 8, he said to these very people, before Abraham was, I am. They got ready to stone him at that point. I guess they understood what he meant. Plus, throughout the whole time he's been here in Jerusalem, everywhere in his public ministry, he keeps calling God my father. And he says in chapter 6, verse 40, those who believe in me, I will give them eternal life and I will raise them up on the last day. They want him to say the words, I am Messiah. And he says, look, I, what do you think I've been saying? And then he goes on, he says, also the works I have done in my Father's name, they testify. So we might want a little review here too. In chapter 2, he turned water to wine. Now that was kind of on the secret. He told his disciples, don't tell anyone. So maybe that doesn't count. And then he healed the official's son in chapter 4. The guy came, he said, my son is sick, come and heal him. And he said, go home, your son's healed. And when he got home, his son was healed. He said, about what time did that? He figured out it was at the same time. So this too is kind of a secret miracle, visible not to the public, but to that guy. But then in chapter five, he healed the lame man <laughs> at the pool in Jerusalem on the Sabbath 
in public view caused a great controversy. So here's this guy who hasn't walked in who knows how many years. I think maybe the text says, but I don't remember. In a long, long time, and he gets up and walks, and it causes a big controversy because the guy was carrying his pad on the Sabbath. And Jesus told him to do it. Then, of course, you have the feeding of the 5,000 in chapter 6, followed shortly by the walking on water. Now, the walking on water wasn't widely viewed, just, you know, a few guys who happened to be out there. But the feeding of the 5,000 was witnessed by at least 5,000. And then, of course, we have the, uh, the, the great messianic miracle of giving sight to the blind that the, all of these people personally witnessed firsthand. So he says, look, if you don't believe what I say, you could believe what I do. The works that I do in my Father's name. Oh, by the way, also, time after time after time in the book of John, Jesus always refers to the Father as the one who sent him and to himself as the one who was sent by the Father. So after this little review, I found myself saying, what do they want him to say? He says to them, you don't believe because you're not my sheep. You don't believe. You don't trust me. You don't trust my word. If I told you I am the Christ, you wouldn't believe that either. You don't trust the works I do. You don't trust the one who sent me. He's already said this repeatedly throughout the book of John. If you believe him, you recognize me. I could add to this list of things they don't believe Moses, because he said, you don't believe Moses. Moses wrote about me, and you don't see it. You don't believe because you're not my sheep. Then he goes to talking about his sheep. His sheep, he says, my sheep hear my voice. How can you tell who are his sheep and who are not? Well, his sheep hear his voice. These guys didn't, aren't, they don't hear his voice. They don't believe him. <clears throat> Here's the thing about Jesus' sheep. They don't see all that those guys saw and keep asking, are you the Christ? Tell us plainly. They already know. Already, Peter has said, where will we go? You have the words of, the, of, the living, of eternal life. You're the son of the living God. Peter's one of his sheep. He hears his voice. He follows him. We've already seen Jesus coming up to 
John and James, his brother, and their father, and inviting them to follow, and immediately they left their nets and followed him. They didn't say, well, tell us plainly. And these people who are asking Jesus to confirm his messianic role have seen Jesus heal a man born blind and immediately after that say, I am the good shepherd. And they say, are you the Christ? Tell us plainly. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. His sheep wouldn't ask that question. They wouldn't see all that he has shown and keep asking, are you the Christ? Here's what Jesus says about his sheep. They hear his voice. I know them, he says, and they follow me. So his sheep hear his voice, they're known by him, and they follow him. Faith follows. If I trust his voice, I follow him. Now here's the thing a lot of us Christians do, because we're all kind of ridiculously religious most of the time. We, define, we start defining follow. And you know, when we start defining follow, we start acting like the Pharisees who don't follow. And what we end up following is a big list of rules we made up. Which is exactly the sort of thing Jesus challenged. I don't follow a religious system. I follow the man, Jesus who is the ever-living Son of God, who died for my sins and rose from the grave and promises to rise me, I mean raise me. I hear his voice and I follow him, him, him. I go with him. I learn from him. I, in the context we're in here in chapter 10, I enter into my salvation through him. He's the door. I enter into his rest, as we read in Hebrews 4, and that challenge in Hebrews 4, look, don't be like those people of old who God led right up to the door of the promised land, and then they decided not to go in. They don't believe. They're not his sheep. Believe and go in. I enter into his rest. I rest from my works, according to that text in Hebrews. I enter by him. I enter into his rest by him. You see, following as a sheep is just what I do because I believe that's my shepherd. That's my shepherd. I'm going with him. You know, sheep are kind of dumb. 
We are trying too hard to be smart sheep. Just be a dumb sheep and where he goes, you go. You just follow him. Do, do, do. Hey, I expect some pasture pretty soon. And his promise is to lead us in and out and to provide pasture for us. His promise is to give us eternal life. His promise is to give us rest in him. That is the beginning. Because I hear that promise and I trust it, I just go with him. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. Here's the thing. He's keeping track of you if you're one of his. I know them. They follow me. And then, oh my goodness, I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. It's funny how you say never in Greek. It's kind of like this. They will no not perish. <laughs> they will not perish, no. Or we could say it like this. No, they will not perish. It is a promise if Christ has given you eternal life, that is not revocable. I guess, to my mind, if you call it eternal, it's already not revocable. But then he goes on to say, they will not perish. You do not get eternal life. He gives it to you. The beginning of your Christian existence is a gift from him. The assurance of eternal life from him. He says, I give you eternal life. He didn't even ask you if you wanted it. You're one of his sheep, you get it. And you cannot perish and if that weren't strong enough, he says, and no one will seize them from my hand. Who's holding on to who in this text? Some of us Christians were worried about how tightly we're holding on to Christ. It does not matter. Now, if you're not an idiot, you'll hold on to Christ as tight as you can. But all of us are occasional idiots. And we are looking around at something else that looks nice to us. We're blah. We're everywhere. Our, our minds are easily distracted. But he knows you. And he has a hold of you. And no one can take you from him. Now that's pretty good, but he goes on. If you are not assured of your place in Christ by now, 
He goes on. My Father has given them to me. <laughs> now, you're in the hand of Christ. He's hanging on to you. You're one of his sheep. How did you become one of his sheep? How did you get in the hand of Christ? The answer is, God Almighty gave you to him. <laughs> now, here's the thing. This says, my father has given them to me. That's a perfect tense verb in the Greek New Testament. Has given. A perfect tense indicates. It's not just something that happened in the past. It's something that happened that permanently altered the state of all things. Because he has given you to Christ... You are Christ's. And that is not revocable. Then he says, no one is able to seize them from my Father's hand. No one is able. This is the assurance of salvation. It is your assurance of salvation if you have seen Christ and recognized him as Christ. If you have looked to him for your place before God. You could quit on that, but he cannot. And he will lead you home if you are his. He gives eternal life. If we go back to chapter 6, you know, some people want to carve out an exception to this, no one can seize them from my hand or no one is able to seize them from the Father's hand. And they want to say, yeah, but you could quit the flock. You could steal yourself from the Father's hand, essentially, if your faith were to die. Although, frankly, I don't see how that's possible, if you ever had it. <clears throat> In chapter 6, Sorry, I've got to find the right verse, and I didn't make myself a note. <clears throat> well, I'm going to start reading in verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All, that's an important word, 
all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down to heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. I don't think you are the one exception to the rule no one can snatch you from the Father's hand. Because he says here, the Father's given them to me, no one can take them from my hand, no one can take them from the Father's hand. And he said in chapter 6, whoever the Father gives me, I will keep for good, and I will raise him up, and I will not lose one. Now we could look all over the Bible and find this to be the case, but Jesus is quite clear in the book of John, and he says, if you trust in him, you, have, you are identified, you are one of his. And he will hear his voice and you will follow. Now, here in the flock, there are some people who might look like they heard his voice and are following, but it's not really real. That's possible. But it is not possible for it to be real and then later be undone. If you are his, it's because he has claimed you. He claimed you before you claimed him. He will say to his disciples here in the book of John, you did not choose me, I chose you. God saved you and God will see it through. Philippians chapter 1 says, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. This text is crystal clear. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. This text began with the question of Christ. Are you the Christ? I'd like to conclude with a question for you. Are you his sheep? Do you hear his voice? Will you follow? Will you trust in him? It could be you've never noticed this until today, and now's the day. That would be awesome. You will be identified as his sheep as soon as you believe in him, hear his voice, follow him. And you have the assurance that if you come to Christ, 
He will not refuse you. We read that in chapter 6. Whoever comes to me, I take. If you come to him, he will receive you, and he will latch on to you so that your destiny is absolutely secure, and you can live, given that assurance, in the rest of knowing Christ, you can rest in his salvation, and that rest will make you powerful in life. And you will find yourself doing things you didn't imagine you were, could do before. Because you are in a position of absolute security in him. Safe people are powerful people. And because I want to say to you, Christian, <laughs> you're safe. So you can be bold. If you need to, you could offend someone powerful for the cause of Christ. And what can they do to you? Well, the absolute worst they could do is kill you, but they can't kill you because you're secure in Christ and you will be raised up on the last day. You see, your power as a Christian is grounded in, begins with, and flows from your assurance that you are safe in him. If you are worried about whether you're safe in him, you will never be powerful as a Christian. So I want to tell you, Jesus says to you, you've heard his voice, you follow him, he gives you eternal life and he will not lose you. He knows you, he's keeping track of you, he's got you in his hand, he will carry you through to the end, whatever path you need to go through to get there. He is with you, just follow, just follow. Lord, we thank you for this great promise of your word. Lord, we pray that you would help us to rest in it, to trust you, to notice we're secure. Lord, we pray for the work of the Spirit in our hearts and minds for that very thing, to believe your word and to walk after you. Lord, as we come to the table this morning, we give you thanks that at the very heart of Christian worship is this thing that you have established, this thing that just says, hey, everyone, remember, I died for your life. That we have a savior, that we have a sacrifice for sin that he is risen, and that we simply go with him. We are yours, Lord, and we want to remind ourselves, we want to declare again in this Lord's table, in this communion, that reality. We believe in your salvation. We trust you. We rest in you. We pray in Jesus' name and by the Spirit. Amen.